If you have a copy of the scriptures, we are in Matthew chapter 2. This Christmas sermon series we titled Fulfilled because of this word that Matthew himself uses related to what Jesus has done upon his arrival. He has fulfilled all of God's promises that were spoken in the Old Testament. Uh, You remember from chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 7, that Matthew mentions he fulfills. Last week, uh, the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, Matthew quoted Micah chapter 5. He didn't speak that word fulfilled, but it certainly implied. Today, in the verses we're going to look at, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, Matthew's going to quote Hosea, and he is going to use that word fulfilled, that specific word fulfilled. It's a very important and rich uh, biblical term related to what Jesus has done upon his arrival. Uh, Zoom out a little bit from the verses we're looking at today. It created this sort of overview of Matthew chapters 1 and 2 for where we've been and and where we're going a little bit. Matthew chapter 1 really focuses on the truth that Jesus is connected to the right people. Uh, Chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 show how Jesus is connected to Uh, Abraham and David. He is the descendant of David who was promised his throne. Uh, That's chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Man, the New Testament opens up with a bang, right? All this names, but it's really important because it shows how Jesus is connected to the line of David. Uh, And then in chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, it continues to show how Jesus is connected to the right people because he is adopted, actually, into the line of David. Jesus didn't have an earthly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph adopts him into the line of David. So chapter 1 focused on how Jesus, the Christ, is proven to be the Christ because he's connected to the right people. But then in chapter 2, there's a shift. Not only is he connected to the right people, he's connected to the right places. Last week in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we saw how he was born of Bethlehem. That was the specific promise in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The prophet Micah said to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, you are by no means the least, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Jesus is the promised shepherd of God's people having been born from Bethlehem. And today we're going to see, not only was he born in Bethlehem, but he had to go down to Egypt and then was called out of there. So chapter 1 really focuses on the fact that he had the right pedigree to show that he's the Christ. Chapter 2 focuses on the fact that he had the right geography proving that he is the Christ. So we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Now when they had departed, when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And the angel said to him, rise, Joseph, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain in Egypt until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph rose, and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And they remained in Egypt until the death of King Herod. And all of this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I want to compare the situation up until this point in Matthew's gospel with flying in an airplane. So imagine with me, you board the plane, you get your bags settled, you take your seat, the flight prepares to take off, and off you go. The journey has started. And as the flight gets going, you're cruising along, you feel this slight but noticeable turbulence. It's like a tremor that quickly reverberates through the plane. You feel it, you notice it, but you look around, nobody else really seems to be bothered, and the turbulence stops as quick as it started, so you're not alarmed, you move on, reading your book, watching your movie, whatever. But then a little later, it happens again. This slight but noticeable turbulence comes and goes really fast, but at this point, you're kind of used to it, you hardly notice it, and you move on even faster than when you did before. But then a little while later, it happens a third time. But this time it is not a tremor, it's an eruption. Everyone in the plane is jolted up and down, side to side. Your heart races in your chest. Your stomach jumps into your throat. You grip the armrest beside you. You grip the arm of the stranger fellow passenger on the other side of you. This time, the turbulence has got your attention. It's much more extreme. Well, again, I want to compare that imaginative and scary experience to where we are at this point in Matthew's gospel. So far in his gospel, we've felt two tremors. We've had two somewhat slight but noticeable narrative turbulence. The first one was in the second half of chapter one. Eric preached on it a couple of weeks ago. The disturbance, this conflict, is that Jesus, as I mentioned before, he was conceived of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. He has no earthly father. And because he has no earthly father, he's not a descendant of King David. And if he's not a descendant of King David, then he's not the Christ. And he has no rightful claim to David's throne. Now, this is a turbulence, right? This is some conflict within the story. But very quickly, the turbulence settles, the conflict's resolved because Joseph heroically adopts Jesus. Even though Joseph did not biologically conceive Jesus, Joseph adopted Jesus, naming him. And thus Jesus was brought into the line of King David by adoption. But then notice at the start of chapter 2, a little later, again, some slight but noticeable turbulence. You remember at the start of chapter 2, Matthew tells us about these wise men, magi, these foreign spiritual sorcerer types from hundreds of miles away to the east in Persia. They make their way to Jerusalem looking for, quote, the newborn king of the Jews. They're looking for the Christ, who they assume has just been born because of this awesome star that they saw rise above Judea. Then Matthew tells us in chapter 2, verse 3, that in response to the inquiry about the newborn king of the Jews, the current king over Judea, King Herod, and all Jerusalem with King Herod, they are troubled. They are not joyful, they are not hopeful or excited or eager when they hear about the birth of Christ. They're bothered by it. They are disturbed. So again, there's some 
narrative turbulence here. There's some conflict. But the next 10 verses pretty quickly move on and kind of focus on the wise men worshiping Jesus. It's this beautiful scene we looked at last week. So those are two relatively minor tremors on our flight through Matthew's gospel. They come and go pretty fast. But then Matthew picks up the story in chapter 2, verse 13. He says... Now when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to him, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for King Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So this third round of turbulence is not a minor rumble that works its way through the cabin of our plane. This is the chest-pounding, freak-yourself-out, life-flashes-before-your-eyes kind of turbulence. The king of Judea, Herod, wants to destroy Jesus. So apparently, previously, when we heard that he was troubled at the birth of Christ, that was kind of an understatement. He's enraged, and he wants Jesus, this potential rival king, to be totally eliminated. So what we're learning about Jesus, friends, is that he is not the kind of savior who just beams down from heaven, announces his arrival, and then everyone falls at his feet, all is made right, peace on earth. No. He is flying in turbulent air. He is diving into choppy waters. He enters right into the brokenness and messiness and violence of the world. Because the truth is, that's the only way to redeem us. That's the only way to liberate us from our sin is if he takes upon himself our sin. The only way for him to rewrite our stories of brokenness and pain is if he enters into our stories of brokenness and pain. In the beginning, at creation, yes, God declared by divine fiat, let there be light. Let there be sun, moon, stars, animals, and it was so. He just spoke those things into existence. But it cannot be so with forgiveness. It cannot be so with redemption. Let them be forgiven. Let them be redeemed. No. He had to enter into and take upon himself the sin that we needed to be forgiven for. He had to enter into and experience the bondage from which we needed to be freed. And that's exactly what's happening to him here. From the very start of his life, the powers of darkness are on his tail. He's being oppressed and persecuted by this evil king. But... God intervenes. Verse 13, as we read, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, tells him about Herod's evil intentions, and directs Joseph with his family to flee to Egypt. In other words, get out of Dodge. Escape Herod's wrath. Take up refugee status in this African country of Egypt and stay there until Herod dies. So for context, this would have been about a 90 or 100 mile trip for Joseph and the family from Bethlehem to Egypt, about a week's worth travel by foot. And notice that comment at the end of this section. After Joseph gets this message and he heads for Egypt, verses 14 and 15, Joseph rose, took the child and his mother by night 
and departed to Egypt. They remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. So Matthew is looking at the events of Jesus' earthly life, and he's thinking about the story of Israel. Jesus is fulfilling, Jesus is replaying the events of God's people from the Old Testament. So do you know that story? Are you familiar with Genesis and Exodus, the first two books of the Bible, or if not, have you seen the Disney film, The Prince of Egypt? Or have you seen the Charlton Heston film, The Ten Commandments? Either way, if it's from reading the Bible or watching the movies, no shame, whichever way. The story is this. After the world falls into sin and brokenness, God begins to form a people. God begins to form a nation through the one man, Abraham, and then his son, Isaac, and then Isaac's son, Jacob. These three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are the patriarchs of the nation that would become known as Israel. They're also known as Hebrews. And God's purpose was that through this one nation, he would work to undo the curse of sin and bring blessing to the world. However, Israel has to flee to Egypt also. A famine hits the promised land, and so Jacob and his 12 sons take up refuge in Egypt. And that's where the book of Genesis ends. When the story continues in the book of Exodus, not only are the Hebrew people in Egypt, but they soon become enslaved in Egypt. A new king in Egypt takes the throne, the Pharaoh, and he quickly ends this policy of tolerance towards God's people, and he systematically subjects them to brutal, forced labor. But as the prophet would later say, out of Egypt, I called my son. In his mercy, God hears the cries of his people. He raises up a leader from amongst them, Moses, played by Charlton Heston. <laughs> God wants to redeem his people. He frees them from slavery. He liberates them from bondage. Out of Egypt, God calls his children. It's this great event that's known as the exodus, the exit out of Egypt. But you see, here's the problem. Even though Israel was freed from Egypt, they were not free. As the story of the Old Testament continues from Exodus forward, we see that even though God's people were free from Egypt, they were not free. Even Israel, who would later have the promises of God in Scripture, even Israel, who would later have the presence of God in the temple, even though they were now out of Egypt, they were not free. They were still enslaved by their own selfishness. They were still in bondage to their lustful desires. They were still stuck in their greed and arrogance. As we read the rest of the Old Testament, we find out that the Hebrews are just as hard-hearted as Pharaoh. They just didn't have all the earthly power that Pharaoh had. Yes, God got Israel out of Egypt, but the sin in their hearts went right along with them, holding them captive. But in the fullness of time, 
the promised son of Abraham, the true Jew, Jesus makes his arrival and he enters into and he relives the story of Israel. He is oppressed by a wicked king. He takes up refuge in Egypt. That wicked king is struck down and then out of Egypt. God calls his son back to the promised land. This is Matthew's way of saying, Jesus is the new Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Israel was to be. He is fulfilling all of the promises that they received. This is Matthew's way of articulating the gospel that Jesus provides a new exodus. Jesus is where liberation that lasts, where liberation that's true is really found. And so friends, this text should make us ask ourselves, have you recognized your need for deliverance? Have you felt your need to be freed from the power of darkness in your life? Now you may say, CT, What are you talking about? I live in the land of the free. No chains around my ankles, no shackles on my body. What do I need to be liberated from? Well, let me try to tell you what I'm getting at. David Foster Wallace was a novelist and a writer from the last last half century. He was not a believer in Christ. Best I can tell, he did not subscribe to any religion, really but he was a remarkable and honest observer of people and life. And he wrote this actually in a commencement address at Kenyon College in 2005. He was the keynote speaker at their graduation. He says this, quote, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. For example, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap in for real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel enough. Or if you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, then you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they plant you in the ground. If you worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to keep fear at bay. If you worship your intellect, being seen as smart, then you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Again, Wallace is not writing as a Christian or even as a traditionally religious person. He's writing simply as a human and reporting the facts of our experience. And he's helpfully pointing out for us this, everyone is under control of something. Maybe it's money or possessions. Maybe it's your body and appearance, maybe it's power and influence, maybe it's your intellect and competency, but everybody is under control of something and that something, in his words, will eat you alive. It will enslave you. 
So friend, that's what I mean when I say, have you recognized your need for deliverance? Have you felt your need to be freed from the power of darkness in your life? Because oftentimes we worship these things, we're enslaved to these things, but we're not even conscious of it. It's as natural for us as breathing as it is to be controlled by money. It's as natural as it is for us to breathe as it is to be obsessed with our appearance, for us to accrue power at whatever cost. This is just how we exist. We hardly even notice. And so I'm asking you now, will you notice? Will you notice yourself? Where do you find your ultimate meaning? Where do you find your deepest satisfaction? Where have you placed your final hope? In other words, what do you worship, really? What controls you? What has enslaved you? Growing up, for me, it was just the air I breathed. In my family, in my hometown, that identity and purpose is found in playing sports and succeeding in playing sports, especially football. I'm from Alabama, and football is our thing. And I gave my life to it. I gave my heart to it. I devoted myself with religious zeal. I let my passion for playing football control me. And over time, it started to eat me alive. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, CT, it was probably the defensive lineman that ate you alive because you're like 6'2 and a buck 50. And to, and to that I would say good point, but it's not the point. The point is that this thing became my master. This good thing. Football's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with football inherently. But this good thing became for me a God thing the thing I worshiped. It became my identity, my purpose, my joy, but ultimately it left me miserable and enslaved and empty. That was for me at least one part of my story. What about you? What's your thing? What's your true object of worship? What's your master and how is it working out for you? Like Israel, we may be fresh out of Egypt. We in America may be free, but we are not free. We are not free. But church, this is why the good news is so good. This is why the good news is so good. Because God in Jesus has raised up a new Moses. And unlike the first Moses, this new liberating leader is no mere man. Jesus is the God man, the divine deliverer in the flesh. And unlike the Moses of old, Jesus doesn't write the law of God on tablets of stone. Jesus writes the law of God on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel that Jesus is the true, new, better Moses who can really lead you to liberation and identity and hope and joy. Will you follow him? God has raised up a new Moses and he has accomplished a new exodus. Moses led the people out of Egypt into the promised land. Jesus leads us out of the grave and into resurrection life. 
Moses spoke the word of God and overcame Pharaoh. Jesus is the word of God and overcame death itself. This is the gospel, friends, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Israel was to be. He is the true, new, and better Moses. Amen. This is the way Matthew is articulating his gospel to his mostly Jewish audience, helping them see that Jesus is the completion of this story. More than that, Jesus is the fulfillment of the longing of their hearts to be freed, and the same is true for you. You may live in a nice house, you may live in a nice neighborhood, you may drive a nice car, but we are in the house of slavery, just like Egypt. And apart from coming to the Savior in humble faith, apart from receiving the freeing power of His Holy Spirit, apart from receiving the freeness of His grace and love for us, that we could never earn and never lose. Apart from that, we will stay enslaved. And so I call on you, follow Jesus. That is what this church is. That is what this church is. We are followers of God's true liberator, Jesus, following him on this exodus away from the power of sin, following him on this pilgrimage journey in this foreign land. If you're not a part of it, join us. And if you're on the fringes of it, dive in. Through the liberating power of the gospel, Jesus is not just calling us to be freed from something, he's calling us to be freed for something. Jesus God's true son is called out of Egypt here in chapter two, but he's got 25 something more chapters left, ministering, making disciples, stating this movement, this movement that made its way all the way from Bethlehem of Judea to Rochester Road. And so I encourage you, what does it look like? What does maybe just one tiny step away from Egypt look like for you? It could be as something as simple as following through on the QR code and filling out the web app. It could be something as silly as going to the connect desk and just talking to somebody. It could be walking forward after the service. We're going to have some friends here that would love to pray for you. What does it look like for you to walk away from Egypt and step toward the Savior? He's calling you by the truth of the gospel, by the power of his Holy Spirit, will you hear him? Will you come and receive his freedom? I pray it would be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.